Hey everyone, welcome to Fellowship the Rockies Online. We are so glad you are tuning in and, and watching our online service wherever you are on this 4th of July weekend. So happy 4th of July weekend and I hope you have a, I hope you have a great weekend. And so we've been in this series. In fact is we're finishing this series up, Jesus for Everybody. And so over the last eight weeks, we've been walking through Luke chapter 7 and Luke chapter 8, and we've been looking at the relationship that Jesus uh, has with people or had with people in the Gospels and, and a, a friend of. And so this weekend, we're looking at the topic, the sermon title is A Friend of the Desperate, that Jesus is a friend of the desperate. And you know what? That is good news for me, and that is good news for you. Because when you go through those hopeless, desperate situations where there is no earthly answer, that Jesus is a friend. Jesus is a friend to you. Jesus is a friend of the desperate. And as a result of that, if Jesus is a friend of the desperate, then guess what? We should be the friend of the desperate. And we should come along people that, 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 that are going through and in desperate situations and minister to them and help them. So if you find yourself in a situation that's hopeless and desperate and you need us, there's a couple of things you can do. One thing is, is anytime during this sermon, if you're watching it live, you can click on the live prayer button and a, a prayer partner will join you in a virtual room and they will check chat back and forth with you and, and minister to you and help you and pray for you. Uh, if you're watching this service on, on, on demand, then, then you can click the request prayer or you can, you can fill out the connect card. That goes directly to a pastor and a pastor will contact you and, and do everything they can to minister to you and to help you. And so I just want you to know this, this sermon that we're going to look at, A Friend of the Desperate, is, it's not theory to me. Um, I, I've actually lived this. I've actually lived this with my family. Uh, when we found ourselves as a family in a desperate situation with, with a daughter with, a, with an illness. And so, so these are some of the things that I've learned as we pull this out of the scripture. I have three principles for you or three points. And then also at the end of the message, I'm going to come back with two just things that I have learned walking through this. When, when you look at this, you find that most of us at some time in life, we experience a hopeless situation or a, a desperate situation. Henry David Thoreau, he said this, he said, most men li live lives of quiet desperation. A situation is beyond our control, and it seems there is nothing we can do about it. And so in Luke chapter 2, we're going to look at two people that find themselves in a hopeless, desperate situation. Uh, they're, they're, they're two different individuals, two different situations, but the one common thread or theme that runs between uh, their two stories is this, is they're in a hopeless, desperate situation. And I hope that you can pull some things out of this message that will help you in your life and your journey with Christ. And so let's just look at this together. Three things, and I'll come back with, with two learning uh, principles that I have learned in my life walking through hopeless situations. The first thing is this. When you're in a desperate situation, you will do anything. When you're in a desperate situation, your back is up against the wall. There's no earthly answer. You know what? You will do anything. And so Luke chapter 8, verse 40, here's what the scripture says. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And Jesus went, and the people pressed around him. So you look at this guy Jairus, and Jairus uh, had, had received from the doctors that an, a, a diagnosis of his daughter that she had a terminal illness. And it didn't look good at all. 
And, G- and Jairus, and it's so important to understand, Jairus comes out and he falls humbly at the feet of Jesus. And so this was something that was very, very public. And, and the reason this is so important is because what the scriptures told us is that Jesus, or that Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. In other words, he was a leader in, in the Jewish church. He was a leader in the church. And, and, and he's frantic and he's desperate. And he comes to Jesus and he falls at his, his feet where everybody in his synagogue, everybody in his church, his community could see what he's doing. And, and, and here's why that's so huge, because most of the religious people of their day, most of the Jewish religious leaders, they saw Jesus as an imposter. They didn't really see him as the son of God at all. In fact, is many of them were plotting to kill him. But, but Jarius, he didn't care what people thought. Man, he was, he was in a desperate situation, and he desperately needed the help of Jesus. I, I'm telling you, in life, few things will panic you as much as a child, your child getting sick, your child being given a, the diagnosis of a, of a terminal illness, knowing that the only help that you will receive will come from God and I know when a, when a child you love is sick and, and it seems like they are, they're getting worse, that you get desperate and Jarius was, had to do something. And obviously his daughter was about to die and he had heard about the miracle working power of Jesus and, and he, he had to go to him. Regardless of what anybody said, regardless of what anybody thought, he, he didn't care what other people thought. Other people were pressing into him and saying, are you, are, are you serious? Are you crazy? I mean, G- Jesus can't help. Jesus, Jesus is an imposter. He wasn't worried. Listen, he was not worried what other people thought. He was worried about his daughter. A lot of people in this moment will press in and say, you know, you, you, need, you need to be realistic. And Jarius could say, you know what, I am being realistic. And there is no earthly answer. It is a hopeless, it is a desperate situation. And that's why I need Jesus. That's why I need Jesus involved in this, this situation. And, 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 and so the scripture goes on in verse 43 and says, and says there was a woman who had a, had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. So this woman now, Jesus is on his way and he gets interrupted by this, this other lady. And so she had a serious illness. She had a chronic menstrual disorder. And, and, and so that would be very difficult for a Jewish woman in their culture, in their time. I mean, as, as a result of this and, and her problem, that all of her life was like affected. I mean, she sexually, her husband could not touch her. And maternally, she could not bear children. And domestically, anything that she touched at home would be seen as spiritually unclean. And, and because of this, she wasn't allowed to go to the synagogue and, 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 and worship with, at the temple. And, and she was physically and, and exhausted and she was socially distanced from people. And, and all of a sudden you look at this and it shows the variety of people in desperate situation that Jesus will, will come, come alongside of, that Jesus is a friend of the desperate. And here was a man that was interceding for his child and a woman that, that was trying to find help for herself. And when you start looking at these two stories, you realize that Jairus was like this wealthy, leading citizen of his community. He was a leader in his, ch- in his church. But the, this woman, she was of, of lowly position, and, and, she, and she was broke. I mean, financially, she was bankrupt. She spent everything she had trying to get well. And, and Jairus had, had been blessed with 12 years of, of his daughter's life. And and the joy that that brings, and, and now he might lose her. 
And the woman had experienced 12 years of misery because of her affliction and and she's just hoping to get well. And Jairus' need is, is public and everybody knew about it. And, and, and her need was like, like hidden and private. And Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. But the, the woman's hemorrhaging made her unclean as well. As, as a result, she couldn't go to the temple and worship. And, and Jairus' concern was life-threatening. But the woman's problem was not as serious. In 2016, when our daughter Brittany two children in the process of adopting another child was diagnosed with a with a with a terminal illness a, a brain tumor and we knew we knew we were in a desperate situation we knew we were in a hopeless situation and as a as a dad I responded differently than than as Karen my wife the, the nurturer and and so as a dad I, I just I was frantic and of course I was praying and and but I began making tons of phone calls and doing anything I could just just to help and and Karen was doing the same but but Karen was also fasting and Karen was also praying and and uh through 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 my my brother-in-law who knew a state representative he he got us a, a almost an immediate appointment for md anderson in houston texas and normally it takes three to six months and now we have an appointment in three days and and, and when we had the appointment karen and i were scheduled to take part in a worship conference in dallas texas and and so uh, so Brittany told me she said she said dad I want you to take me to MD Anderson and go with me and mom I want you to still go to the worship conference and I, and I just need you to pray I just need you to pray see Karen's taught not only me but she's taught our family just what it what it means to pray and no prayer request is either too big or too small for for God and so Brittany says mom I I, I just need you to pray and our girls have grown up knowing about Karen's prayer life, that, that Karen would pray for things that other people or me and other people would think, you know what, are too small. But there was no such thing as too small of a prayer request for Karen. I mean, I'll never forget like 10 or 15 years ago when, when I think it was our first generation of cell phones that we ever got and Karen got this cell phone and, and she was doing dishes in the kitchen and talking on the phone and the phone slipped out, you know, she dropped it. And it went all the way to the bottom of the sink. It was full of water, went to the bottom. She fished it out. She turned it off. And, and so it was in the days of cell phone days before there was insurance and some of the other things. And phones were, like, really expensive like, like they are today. And, and so, you know, I, Karen said, you know what, don't worry about it. Said, Beverly Allen and I, we're going to pray for it, and God's going to heal my cell phone. And I thought, you know what, that's ridiculous. I mean, it's an electronic device, and God's not going to heal your cell phone. And I said, that's, that's like crazy. And she says, you know what, we really believe that. And so it was a Wednesday night, and Karen came to church, and Beverly Allen and Karen laid hands on it. They prayed for it. And Karen came home from church, and she told me, you know what, in the morning, you're going to be my first phone call. And I'm like, okay. And so that morning, I was at the office early, and all of a sudden, my cell phone rang. I looked down and it was Karen Jones and I'm like that's crazy and so so I didn't just say hello I just went ah, wah, ooh, ah, ah. and so she's like cut it out I know my cell phone's okay and so our girls listen we we were raised Karen raised our girls in such a way that 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 they knew that their mother prayed for them no prayer request was too small or too large. I mean, God wasn't up in heaven and say, say, Karen, I can't believe you're asking for this. I mean, I got COVID-19. I've got, you know, race relations. I got global recessions. I got all these problems, and this is too small of a request. You know what I'm telling you? Man, this story shows that no, no request is too small or too great. 
There's something about this issue of prayer. You know, you know, in my life, I learned to pray. You know when I learned to pray? When I got desperate. When my daughter was ill, we learned to pray. Listen, when you're, when you're in desperate, hopeless situations, you'll do anything. You see it with Jairus. You see it with this woman that presses through a crowd just to touch Jesus a second. The second principle is this, is when you're desperate, when you're hopeless, your faith will become personal. When you're desperate, when you're hopeless, your faith will become personal. Verse 44, we're just going to pick up the story. She came up behind him talking about the woman and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who is it that touched me? What a crazy question, right? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you and, you're, and are pressing in on you. I mean, what, I mean, Simon Peter's basically saying, what do you mean who touched you? Do you not see the crowds? Everybody's like touching you. But Jesus said, who is it that touched me? And, and the woman discovered that, listen, the woman discovered that, guess what? When Jesus asked that question, who touched me? The woman discovered that, guess what? Everybody in the crowd matters to Jesus. Regardless of your status, regardless of your need, regardless of where you are in life, that even everybody in the crowd matters to Jesus. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The woman seeing the crowd around Jesus, seeing Jesus in a hurry, may have thought to herself that he's too busy to even notice me. And that maybe if I can just my, make my way through the crowd and, and touch the hem of his garment or touch the cloak or touch his robe, maybe then I'll be healed. And you know the interesting thing about this? Jesus, Jesus honored her faith. In fact, as it says in verse 44, when she walked up behind him and, and touched his robe, the edge of his cloak, her bleeding immediately stopped. And then the next two sections says that Jesus immediately said, he asked the question, who touched me? And, the, and the, the, the disciples are like, Jesus, the crowd is pressing in. What do you mean who touched him? I mean, that, that, that's like leaving Bronco Stadium at the end of the game, right? Making your way to the car and, and making your way through the crowd out of the stadium and then turning around and looking at everybody and say, like, who, who touched me? They're like, what do you mean? This is Bronco Stadium. Uh, this, is, this is how it is. And listen, I can tell you from personal experience, if you wear a, a cowboy jersey to Bronco Stadium, on your way out, a lot of people are going to touch you. And so, and so Jesus is asking the question, who touched me, verse 45. And so Jesus said, who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touch me. For I've perceived that power has gone out from me. And you know what this tells me? That when you minister to people, it's going to take emotional energy out of you. It's going to drain you. When you come alongside of people and, and minister to them and and, and then all of a sudden you look at Jesus and you have to ask the question, why did, why did he force her to come forward? Why did he force her? Why did he say, who touched me? Why did, why did he force her to, to, to admit it? It wasn't to embarrass her. He was, he was her friend. He's the friend of the desperate. Uh, he, he, he wanted to minister to her. He wanted to help her. her. Her relationship with Jesus needed to be personal, not just a nameless, faceless person in the crowd. She needed to speak to him. He needed to look into her eyes, and she needed to look into his eyes. And maybe another reason is, is he, 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 he wanted her faith to be in him and, and not, in his, not in his robe. 
He didn't want her to mistakenly believe that or have this notion that his robe had some magic power. I mean, you, you hear people say all the time, you know, you just, you, you just got to believe. You just, you just got to have faith. You just got to believe in yourself. You just got to think positive. But as Christians, our faith is not faith in faith. Our faith is not in ourselves. Our faith is not in our bank accounts, our buildings, uh, even the symbol of a, of a cross. Our faith is in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus wanted her to understand that. Jesus wants us to understand that. And maybe another reason that he asked her to come forward is I think that this healing needed to be made public. Jesus wanted this healing to be made public. There's so many people that, you know what, they just need to know that they've been healed, that they've been touched, and, 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 and to regain a normal place in society for her. That the, the, the crowd knowing that she had been healed would regain her a normal place in society. And maybe another reason I think her, her healing needed to be underscored is because it increased the faith of Jarius. Jarius was in a hopeless, desperate situation. See, that's why so many times it's so important for me and you to be willing to share a testimony of what God has done in our life. Whenever we share a testimony of what God has done in our life, it increases the faith of the people around us. And, and, and this is the same thing. And so maybe Jesus did it so it would increase the faith of Jarius when he realized that this woman is a desperate situation and Jesus was a friend to her and Jesus took care of the situation. And, and so verse 47, and when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. I see some people today that enter into a relationship with Christ and they've been healed and forgiven of their sins, but they don't want anyone to know. They're worried about the criticism of some co-workers or some family or, or some people in their neighborhood or relationships that they have because they know that maybe they will disapprove or criticize them for the decisions that they've made. And, and listen, let me tell you something. Jesus never allows us to have a private healing for very long. Yes, our faith is personal, but it's also personal and public as Christ's followers and following him that we go public with our faith so other people know what we believe and why we believe in. And so this is what he was doing for her. And the woman may have been ignored by the crowd. Listen, but she wasn't ignored by Jesus. Jesus was a friend to the desperate. He's a friend to her, verse 48. It says, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You ever thought what Jarius is thinking? Remember when we picked up this story? His daughter had received a terminal illness. She was dying. Jesus was on the way to her house, and all of a sudden, Jesus pauses and begins ministering to this woman. He had to have been anxious at this point. I mean, and then all of a sudden, terrible news comes from his home. And the third principle is this. You will continue to trust him, not the circumstances. Listen, when you're desperate, when you're in hopeless, hope, hopeless situation, one thing that it teaches you, it teaches you not to trust in circumstances, but to trust in him. Yes, <coughs> excuse me. Yes, to be realistic and honest about the situations that you're in, the circumstances, but to trust him in spite of your circumstances. Verse 49. And while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came to him and said, Your daughter is, and your daughter's dead. Do not trouble the teacher any more. This is the worst possible news that Jairus could have received. It, it had to have crushed him. And he felt the pain and the agony of what was going on. 
so interesting to me that you see this in the, in the scriptures that obviously Jarius kept walking with Jesus towards his home even though the news that he received. Some people around him and maybe some friends or maybe some relatives, they, they tried to comfort him by saying, don't trouble the teacher anymore, no need. Circumstances are too difficult. The circumstances are too painful. And I, I remember after, after Brittany's first surgery and the news that we received, it was the worst possible news that we could receive. And, and we had to keep reminding ourselves our trust is in God and not our circumstances. For us, we kept troubling the teacher. For us, we kept praying. For us, we kept pressing in. And you see this in Jarius' life. We had to keep reminding each other that we trust in him and we don't trust in our circumstances. And there were, there, there were people telling Jarius that, that don't bother the teacher anymore, but he just, he just commend, continues on. It's amazing the one who could do something about it. They were trying to shove him, Jesus, aside. I don't, I don't think they were concerned that Jesus would be an inconvenience. You know what I think they were concerned with? I think they were concerned with Jarius. I think they were concerned that he was being embarrassed by his actions with this itinerant preacher that can do nothing to help. And in Luke chapter 8, verse 50, Jesus goes on and says, But Jesus, on hearing this, ans- on hearing this answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And Jarius continued to walk with Jesus, allowed Jesus to come to his home. You know why? He had nowhere else to go. He was in a desperate, hopeless situation. Jesus was the only one with the answer, verse 51. And when he came to the house, he allowed allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. Jesus often performed miracles away from the crowd to protect dignity and the privacy of the one in need. And so he took his closest disciples and he took, he took the little girl's parents into the room. In verse 52 it says, and, and all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep for she is not dead but sleeping. You know, when you look at this, Jesus broke up every funeral he attended. And keep in mind, in that, in, in that day, in that, that culture, they actually, there were professional mourners. They would pay people to come and, and mourn and weep and wail and cry. And Jesus steps into that situation. And he breaks up this, this funeral. And when he made that statement, they, they, they laughed at him. Like he didn't know what he was talking about. If you follow Jesus, listen, if you follow Jesus, there will be people who will laugh at you and have that condescending smile like, like they've been there and they know all about it. Well, I need to tell you, Jesus has been there and he knew all about it and he knew that he was going to take care of the situation. He knew that he was a resurrection and a life. And so verse 54, he goes on and says, but taking her by the hand, he called saying, child, arise. And the scripture teaches that her spirit came inside of her and she stood up and then Jesus told him, get her something to eat and take care of her. And so I just want to give you just two quick things as we just close this message, two definite lessons that I want you to remember from this story that I've learned from personal experience and it's definitely in in the story. The first thing is this, when, when you're desperate, you reach out to Jesus even through the crowd. You reach out to Jesus even if the crowd is telling you don't trouble Jesus, don't trouble the teacher anymore. 
Sometimes like this, this woman, it may seem difficult to get through the crowd and get to him. There will always be a crowd in your life that is trying to push you away from him. And they'll tell you that faith doesn't work that way or Jesus doesn't heal anymore or look at the circumstances and we're worried about you that if Jesus doesn't come through the way you think he should, that something that, that you may go into depression or you may take it really hard. Uh, they may tell you that it doesn't really matter. Listen, don't let the crowd teach you or keep you from touching him, for coming to him. He, can, he is the only one that can bring hope and healing to your life. You do whatever you have to do to press through the crowd to get so the crowd is not between you and Jesus, but the crowd is at your back and you see him face to face because he's perfect, he can hear you. And you can reach out to him through the crowd just as he is reaching out to you. You do whatever you have to do to press into him the second thing is this the second lesson is this is that when you're desperate keep trusting Jesus even through disaster when you're desperate you just keep pressing into him you keep trusting him when G when Jairus came to Jesus his situation temporarily got worse before it got better I mean there was this delay that had to have agonized him that then there was horrible news that his daughter had died. Then there was that long trip home. It had to be agonizing. It had to feel like everything has fallen apart. And so I, I, I don't wanna, want you to have any illusions about coming to Christ. Just being a Christian does not guarantee that you will always have a healing, that you will have an immediately healing of all of your problems. In fact, you may put your trust in Christ and you may pray like mad in a desperate situation. And it doesn't get, get better, it gets worse. The cancer spreads, the unexpected bills arrive. Your friends betrays you, your, your loved one dies. You see, your faith is not the belief that God will do what you want immediately. Your faith is the belief that God has a plan. That God has a plan. When you stand at the grave of a loved one that you will never see again, you can trust God and trust God that he has a plan and that one day, if you're both believers, you will see them again. When you're betrayed by someone that you have served with or a friend or a coworker, and you find yourself in a deep hole, you can trust that God has a plan. When you have challenges in your family and you're hurt and you're disappointed, God has a plan. When you lose your job, you're furloughed, or you take a reduction in salary, God has a plan. You didn't get that promotion, you didn't get that raise you wanted, but God has a plan. Your dreams and your plans may have changed in COVID-19, but you have to trust that God has a plan. You find yourself in suffering and grief and pain, and you're looking for God's hidden plan, but you have to trust that God has a plan. The government is so split and divided. It looks like evil is happening on both sides of the aisle, but God has a plan. It looks like everything that is lovely and pure and good does not endure forever, but guess what? God has a plan. You had dreams that have been shattered, but God has a plan. It may look like the pure in heart are being trampled and the proud are strutting, but God has a plan. And one day, he's going to make everything right. That's why we keep pressing into him. That's why we keep reaching out to him. Even though things may seem desperate around us, we know that we can trust him. We walked through this in 2016, almost four years ago. And I just wanna let you know, in case you don't know me, Brittany is still receiving a clean scan and we give all praise and honor and glory to him. That we know as a family, that he is a friend of the desperate. Reach out to him. 
in spite of the crowd because he's always already reaching out to him. Have faith in him even through disaster, for he has promised to be faithful unto death. And he says, and I will give you the crown of life. Let me just ask you, what is God saying to you as a result of his word and his story? Are you in a hopeless, dis- dis- desperate situation? Do you need to reach out to him? Do you need to press into him? Do you need to cut through the crowd so that you can see him and see him afresh and anew? Do you need him to do something new in your life? Would you take that step and would you just trust him? Maybe you've never accepted him as your personal Lord and Savior and come into a relationship with him. I pray this through this message, you would enter into a relationship with him and say, Lord, I I need you to forgive me my sins. I need you to give me the gift of eternal life as I walk with you. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Father, we thank you for loving us. Father, we thank you that you are a friend of the desperate and that we're in a desperate situation, Father, that as we reach out to you, you're already reaching out to us. And so, Father, we, I just lift up those that are listening to this message and watching this message. Father, would they know, regardless of the situation, the circumstance that they're in, nothing is too small or too big for you. Father, would you minister to them? Would they just simply take their next step, whether it's to come into a relationship with you? Or it's to trust you over their circumstances to know that you have a plan for them. Father, we love you. We praise you. We look forward to see what you're going to do. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.